welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. This is episode 32, and our episode title today is The Benefits of the Cross, part two. And last week we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about have inheriting the righteousness of Christ. So today we're going to talk, take on a couple more topics about what what the Christ did for us at the cross, what we've what we've received, and and how it affects us, and how we move forward with our Christian life. I'm going to start us off tonight, Mark, with. Uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it, it's a good one to play off of from last week because last we talked last week we talked about being forgiven and being given the righteousness of Christ. And I know many pastors who have taught that God cannot abide sin, so we couldn't we couldn't have the Spirit in us if we were still sinful. We could only have the Spirit in us if we were righteous. And that's a point in the church that I think a lot of people just don't understand very well because they'll one minute they'll think they're in the favor of God and you know he's with them and the next minute, oh, they've done something to offend him and he's gone. And that's no way to live. So Mark, hopefully I haven't haven't said too much. I'm gonna hand it over to you from here. Sure. Well the, when you were speaking that one of my fa- and I was in this book today, uh, Ephesians one which is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It's just an astounding and beautiful chapter. And the Apostle Paul tells us that even before the beginning of creation, God had already chosen us in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, so for for that to be accomplished, Christ had to die for us. And that was already the part of his original plan, even before the beginning of the beginning. And um, it's a good thing, too, because of the forgiveness of sin and the fact that he has made us the righteousness of God. He's given us his righteousness. And as Martin Luther said, there is no other righteousness in existence other than the righteousness of God. It's a righteousness that is completely foreign to us. From the moment we turn to Christ, we can work, just sacrifice every minute of the rest of our lives, and we're never going to be more righteous than at that moment when we put our faith in the cross and he imparted his righteousness to us. So because of the fact that we are now the righteousness of God, that our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west, that he has chosen to forgive and forget our sins and lawless acts, and that he will never put us to shame over them. Now God himself can come and take his residence in us. And if you read in the book of John between chapters 14 and 16, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he starts to talk to his disciples and through them to us, telling us that, and he he talks very, it's very mysterious, but he starts talking about he being in the Father, and the Father being in him, and he being in us. And there's a communion that takes place because of the cross now, because of that forgiveness and that righteousness. We now 
We can't get any closer to God. He's in us and we are in him. It's an intimate communion. It's the joy of life, really. And in fact, when we discussed the Holy Spirit, we talked about that he is called the spirit of revelation. And Paul constantly prayed for the church that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would reveal God to us so that we might know him better. And so to me, that's one of the most valuable things that came out of the cross, that now we have communion with the God who created us, who loves us, and who redeemed us at the cross. I want to read a couple of scriptures that uh, say exactly what Mark is saying, that, you know, we receive the Holy Spirit because of our forgiveness and righteousness. We actually read this scripture last time as well in Acts chapter 10 from verse 43. Peter uh, went to Cornelius' house, right? And he was called by Cornelius. The angel appears to Cornelius and then basically tells him, you know, go call Peter and he will preach the gospel. So after that, Peter, first he hesitates, but finally he goes. And then he basically talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a gospel. And then he comes to this towards the end of it. He says in chapter 10, verse 43, of him, all the prophets bear witness that through this, through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. So here, the moment Peter talked about the forgiveness they will receive through faith in Lord Jesus Christ, even as they heard the word, in their heart they believed, you know, I want you to see this. They did not do anything else except to believe that their sins are forgiven. You know, we think the forgiveness of sins is a small matter and it's ABC of the gospel. But, you know, unless we believed in that forgiveness, we could not receive the Holy Spirit. So as they heard the message, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on them. Again, similarly in Acts chapter 2, I think towards, uh, I think verse 42, I guess. Yeah, verse 37. Again, Peter, this is the first gospel, right? He talks about the death, burial and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 37, and when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, and what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for us, like Mark is saying, in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we our sins must be first forgiven. And all we need to do is, because of the work of Lord Jesus Christ because of his shed blood. Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we know that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So the moment anyone believes that their sins are forgiven because of the shed blood, they will receive the Holy Spirit. How awesome that is. There's nothing else for us to do. I love those two verses, how they both tie forgiveness and the giving of the Spirit almost simultaneously together. Yeah, That's all. Yeah. You know, uh, you said that this, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I think one of the big things about the entire being righteousness, you know, being the righteousness of God and forgiven is the Spirit now dwells in us. Up until the cross, the Spirit never came and dwelt in us. He would 
he would come on us. Uh, he would be around, you know, he was the wind in, in creation, this, that, and the other. There were various depictions of him, but never as a, a being in living inside of us and giving us his nature. Mark, I think you had you were the one that brought that one up. I liked that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can search yourself through the old Old Testament. Every time the Spirit came, it was a visitation. It was not a permanent home, which from the cross on, the moment a human being believes in the forgiveness that Christ purchased, as those two scriptures that Ajay said, boom, the, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. And it's also interesting, though, that before we come to Christ, the Spirit has already visited us because he's the one that draws us to the cross in the first place. And then the moment we understand and hear and receive, boom, right into us. That's awesome. In fact, uh, to your point, uh, Mark, in the Old Testament, if you look at the temple, right? So it had three uh, partitions, if you will. There was the outer courts and the holy place and the holy of holies. So the holy of holies, no one could go. You know, that is the presence of God. The moment anyone went into the Holy of Holies, they were basically dead, right? The only time the priest would go is on the Day of Atonement, and that too not without blood. And in fact, he is going inside to sprinkle the blood uh, in front of the um, ark, on top of the ark, I think, between the cherubims, so that you know our sins are covered for that whole year. So again, tying back to the forgiveness, the priests could not go into the Holy of Holies because the sacrifices of bulls and goats, they could not take away our sins. They were only covering, right? They were only a shadow of things to come. So because in the Old Testament, those those sacrifices did not take away our sins, nobody could enter into the Holy of Holies. But when the Lord Jesus Christ died, right? You know, the curtain was torn into two. The curtain that is in front of the Holy of Holies, was torn into two. That means indicating that, you know, now we can, not only we can go freely into the Holy of Holies, but the Lord himself can come out of the Holy of Holies and have communion and fellowship with uh, you and me. And now, in the New Testament, it's not that Lord dwelling in the Holy of Holies, he's actually come, he was like, he was free to come outside. The curtain is torn and he's happy to come outside and to dwell inside you and me. Now we become the temple of God. The picture of that in the Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom, which indicates to me this wasn't done by humans from bottom up, but that God literally reached down and tore the veil away so that we could have that intimate communion. And there's there's a scripture, I don't have it with me now, that just popped in my head that says that veil... That curtain that was torn was Christ's body. Yeah, it's in Hebrews, yeah. So in other words, of we were separated from God and Christ gave his own body to be torn, removing that distance between us and God. How awesome is that? Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And in fact, it's as though like, you know, God could not wait to come and meet with us and dwell in, in us. The moment the work is finished, he tore it, and then he walked outside, you know. It's so cool. Yeah. It's like having a family member 
that you haven't seen in a year and they're you're waiting for them in the airport and they're they're landing and you're just waiting and the minute they get off the plane you get that reunion you know, i just reminded yeah. me that yeah that is and awesome. that's so cool yeah and in in ephesians 1 today it also said that christ being sacrificed for us to accomplish these things was according to god's will and pleasure it was his pleasure to bring this about. Now, it was obviously a great cost to him, the life of Jesus Christ, but the depth of his love and what got accomplished, uh, like, like it says, for the joy set for, before him. You know, that's, that's just awesome to think about. So now that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we've been grafted into the vine of Christianity— uh, I, I want to kind of touch on another point, and that is we are literally family members now. We are, we are co-heirs with Christ, which makes us the sons of God. And so we have a whole bunch of inheritance and things like that that we receive as a result of that. Mark, uh, why don't you start us off on this? Sure. Well, we've talked about this quite a bit, and it's been a theme in my life this year. In fact, I just wrote a song called Sons and Daughters from Galatians 4 that talks about how far God has brought us in Christ from being slaves to the law and therefore slaves to sin to being children of God, sons and daughters, and even more than that, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It, it, we're, we, we didn't do this on purpose, but it seems like one thing is leading to another. Christ died on the cross. We receive forgiveness of sins and righteousness. And then immediately the Spirit comes to live in us. And I just encourage everybody to go back and listen to our multi-part series on the Holy Spirit. We don't want to repeat the, the amount of inheritance and blessing that comes from us having the Spirit in us now. It's just we, we're going to really spend the rest of our lives moving into that and, you know, learning more deeply what that means to us. But one of those things, uh, and it says through the Spirit, it says here, the Spirit you, this is Romans 8, 15 through 17, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's daddy, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wow, you can't say it much better than that, could you? And just, just the key there about receiving the spirit and what it's brought us, you know, making us sons of the living God. What a relationship that is, huh? So many people feel God is far off. They're afraid of him. He's an angry grandfather. He hates them. He hates their sin. He's wrathful. But that's not, the tr that's not even true before you come to Christ. I mean, we do have a sin problem, and without Christ, we've got a very big problem. But the point is, it's his great love for mankind that caused him to send Christ for us. So the fact that he's now brought us from enemies of the cross, 
dead in transgression, without God and without hope in the world, slaves to the law and slaves to to sin, and made us the children of God, sons and daughters, and heirs of his. Man, that's awesome. I keep using the word, but that's the only word I can think of that describes it. Let me just interject real fast, Ajay, because I know you got something you want to add to that. Romans 8, 14 was a verse that I had in the back of my head, and I managed to just pull it up. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Yep, yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just going to add a couple of more scriptures that uh, tell us plainly, when we receive the Spirit of God, we become the children of God. Uh, Lord Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I am going to read from uh, verse uh, 5, right? So Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So here the term that is used is being born again, right? You know, What are we being born again? We are born again by the Spirit of God. You know, when we are born again by the Spirit of God, what does it mean? We become the children of God. Again, you know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, this is also a very very well-known scripture, right? It says, But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, you know, connecting these two, right before we said, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And here it says, you know, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is born of God. And again, it says, not born of the will of the flesh, right? That is not born of the flesh, but born of God, you know, which is being born again by the spirit of God. So again, in the uh, Mark, you said, right, in the sequence of things, right, when we fell, we all became sinners, right? And we were separated from God and from his life. And then we were dead in our sins and trespasses, right? And then our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and he brought forgiveness of our sins. He took away our sins and he brought forgiveness. And the effect of that forgiveness is we receive the Holy Spirit, And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become the children of God. And in fact, we are being born of God through the Holy Spirit. What was the scripture address again, Ajay, that you just read? Uh, I read uh, John 1.12 and also John 3. Okay. So, yeah, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born of not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's a great sister verse to kind of couple with that verse. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's another scripture that brings in 
our inheritance that we are now heirs. Romans 8 was that other one I had read. So, so many of these scriptures. This was obviously not some fringe teaching of Paul's. This was something that he hammers home through so many of his letters to the church. This is like key, key stuff. Not, it's not fringe theology. You know, the stuff we're bringing here was a main, main theme of the Apostle Paul's gospel. And let's remember that this was all being preached mostly to the Jewish people. Uh, I know Paul was off to the Gentiles and all, but the reason why this was so important to be described in the way it is, is, as in the familial relationship, is because in the Jewish tradition, the uh, inheritance uh, from father to son is extremely important and you know it, it whether you're the first son or the second son and you know things like that so this was something that resonated very well with them and th- so i mean that's probably why this particular picture of the relationship is painted in the way it is yeah in fact in the logical sequence of things um, uh, mark you just mentioned a right you know in the scripture that you um uh, that you just read. You know, somebody cannot be an heir unless they are a son. And if they are a son, unless some exception happens, right, they automatically receive the inheritance. So I am an heir of my dad's inheritance because I'm a son. So again, going back to the logical sequence, right, because of the Holy Spirit, we become the sons of God. And because of our sonship, we have the inheritance from God. And that inheritance is unsearchable. That's what the Bible says, right? And all the things that we talk about on this podcast is mostly, you know, the what is the inheritance that we received as the children of God? Yeah. And this, by the way, is not, uh, this is not gender specific. When he, when he speaks of sons of God, this is inclusive of women and, and men. So I wanted to make that clear before someone called us out. You know, I had alluded to Ephesians 1 earlier, and I want to read the whole thing in context here. Um, There's multiple points we've been talking about within this one little two-sentence line. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Amen. Yeah, in fact, uh, if you go further in the same chapter, in verse 11, it says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. First John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's like the ultimate lavishing of love that God made us his children through the cross. In fact, I think we somehow, you know, we are taught to pray our Father in heaven, right? Dear Father, and then we end with Jesus' name. Somehow we lost the awesomeness of our sonship, right? We are looking for things from God. We are looking for this, that, benefits and health and whatever, right? Riches and all that. But, you know, we are already sons of God. I feel like, you know, it doesn't hit us that much. 
but you know we are the children of god because of the finished work of our lord jesus christ we are the children of god and if we have if we are children all the things that we ask god for our beg god for are they are already there because that is our right the bible says if god gave us his son freely right how can he also not give us all things freely so i think we need to stop and actually think about this that we are the children of the most high and we are the sons of the living god and nothing can separate us from god and we start thanking god and start cherishing our sonship or you know as being the children of god when we say sonship we are not talking about just men here but again i think there is a point that tim made in roman culture sonship has a specific significance you have all the rights to the to what father has or the father's inheritance that is the reason that word is specifically used because again in the roman culture i think there's a difference between a son and a children and children um typically if somebody has more children at some point i think after they are grown after 14 years or 15 years they choose choose one of them as their son or the heir moving forward and he gets to take the name of the father and also the responsibility of the family so that is the reason the word son is used you know sometimes we try to be too nice and uh, maybe replace some other words but we are also losing the awesomeness of what uh, you know god is communicating to us so what it means is whether you are male or female you are the son of god that means you receive all the rights that we get as a son you brought up a great great point there and i don't mean to be critical you know you were talking about christians praying in a certain way and it just hit me recently and i think i actually kind of tongue in cheek i hope you took it in the spirit it was given but sometimes we're constantly praying for things that we've already we already have like you said it's our right we have the right to be called children of god imagine a dad is going to send you off i'll just use send you off to war he puts armor on you he gives you a sword he gives you food and water he gives you everything you need and as you're about to go you start you get on your knees and you say father please give me a sword please give me armor please give me water and food i wonder if god <laughs> you know ever gets tired of us asking things he's already lavished us with that are already ours like you said that we don't we don't have we don't realize enough who we are whose we are and the gifts what we have the power we have the resurrection power we have you know and so ajay asked for prayer as he goes on a overseas uh, business trip and i just kind of said to him why are you asking me to pray for things that are already yours in abundance and then i just prayed after that that those things would just explode from ajay as he's there the grace of god would explode for him but it's just like you had brought it up that's the only reason i'm bringing it up how how sometimes we ask for things that we don't realize hey you know it's like praying father make me a child of god oh, wait a minute you're already here a child give me your grace lord what do you mean give you your grace i gave you christ i gave you you know we already have so much just to learn to walk in that to walk in what we already have 
to me, that would just, that's where I want to get to. I'm not there either. Believe me. You know, that's what one of those discussions on the unveiling are always about moving deeper. You know? It is specifically because of that sentiment, Mark, where I have found myself in the past praying for what I know are already the promises of God, where I no longer ask for those things, but rather thank God for those things. It's not to remind God of his promises. I've heard that one from the yeah. uh, from the pulpit. I don't like that, uh, that expression. I don't either. But it is, it is more or less uh, to help that in my mind and body and spirit to accept it. Say, thank right. you, Lord, that you have given me health. And thank you, Lord, that you have given me wisdom. And thank you that I have safety and travel and things like that. It's for me, not for God. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tim. Uh, I also find myself thanking God for um, what I have rather than begging God for giving me something. In fact, prayer is, you know, most of the time, even in the uh, Bible, it is an exercise of faith, right? You know, we through pay- prayer, we receive our inheritance. Because as long as we live in this world, right, you know, we can live by our flesh or we can live by the promises of God, and prayer is a means of exercising our faith to receive what is already ours in Christ. Great way of putting that. You know, we're not close to the end yet, but there is one more thing I think I'd like to talk about. Uh, if you guys don't mind moving on to the kind of the, the further topic in this, and that is now that the Spirit is dwelling in us, He's changing us. He's working on us. And we can see that because because the spirit produces fruit. And I don't want to get into a really long discussion about this because we do have an episode, I believe it was number 28, where we talked about the fruit of the spirit. But the the mere fact that the spirit dwells in us, changes who we are, basically from sinful to righteous, we're going to start walking in and producing this fruit. And Ajay, I've been picking on Mark to start these topics. Um, why don't you take us from here for a minute? Yeah, sure, Tim. Uh, I think it is in Galatians chapter 5, right? So let me go there real quick. So uh, before getting into the fruit of the Spirit, I just wanted to mention that the fruit of the Spirit is same as the fruit of righteousness or the fruits of righteousness. So one thing I wanted to point is since it is a fruit of our righteousness, unless we realize that we are uh, the righteousness of God in Christ, unless we constantly realize, believe, and own our righteousness, we won't be able to bear this fruit. So it's very important, right? You know, sometimes people think we bear the fruit of the Spirit by beating ourselves up for the sins, you know, constantly going back and beating ourselves up. So we will never bear fruit like that because. The fruit of the Spirit is also the fruit of righteousness. So the Bible clearly says in um, Romans 5, 17, they that receive the gift of righteousness will reign in life. When we are reign in life, of course, we will also bear the fruit of the Spirit. So I think it is very important to understand that we bear the fruit of the Spirit through the gift of righteousness. And we also, we discussed this several times, before we can bear the fruit of the Spirit, we get out of the law, right? So we are no longer under the law, but under grace. So we also bear the fruit of the Spirit 
not by the law but by grace so i think it's very important to understand because we kind of it's easy to ignore everything and go back and you know look at our life and say yeah you know my life is not where it ought to be and then you start trying to bear the fruit of the spirit you don't try to bear the fruit of the spirit but you rest in what christ did for us we rest in his finished work we rest in our righteousness and then we rest in the fact that we are no longer under the law but under grace then we bear the fruit of the spirit right so it says but i say to you walk by the spirit and you will not carry the desires of the flesh so i think the key word here is walk by the spirit and many of it define as you know walking by the spirit is same as you know trying to obey the law and trying to keep some commandments or trying to keep the commandments in your strength that uh, the spirit is telling you right it all becomes an obedience to the spirit okay spirit is telling me this then i have to obey it in my own strength again they are falling back to their flesh but i but bible is clear right you know walking by the spirit is same as walking in grace how do you walk by the spirit you basically understand the finished work of christ you first acknowledge that the lord jesus christ finished our the everything right the work is finished and then we receive the forgiveness of sins and then we also continue to see ourselves on a daily basis on a moment by moment basis as righteous because god is constantly imputing righteousness to us he is not imputing sin to us that's when you know in that rest we abide in the lord jesus christ and then that's when we begin to bear the fruit of the spirit and here we see the fruit of the spirit right in verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness self control against such there is no law and those who belong to christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires so basically it's saying right you know the old man is crucified on the cross and the new man you know we are made alive in christ and as we rest in the spirit we will bear all this fruit what you're talking about aj there is transformation coming from be, being the old man to the new man um when you think about it like the work of the spirit is to transform us into the image of Christ second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 tells us that that as we rest in Christ rest in his finished work rid ourselves of the old mentality of the works of the law and us adding our good deeds and contemplate the cross and the glory of the lord he transforms us into the image and then paul takes the time who says he says all this is from the lord who is the spirit so when you think about the verse you just read the fruits of the spirit are just the work of transformation of the spirit it says that our flesh with all its passions and desires have been crucified with christ on the cross and now the spirit is transforming us into the image of Christ in love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control those are the image of Christ those are his qualities so i just like the way of thinking of the fruits of the spirit as being the transformation that the spirit's giving us in the image of Christ and i'd like to point out here that those are those things aren't coming from me they're 
they're coming from the spirit that's dwelling inside of me. If you want to see that I don't have forbearance or long suffering, just put me in traffic where I've been cut off for the third or fourth time where I'm behind a guy doing 20 miles under the speed limit. Uh, I, I don't have the patience or long suffering or forbearance, but I find myself now, even though I will still be somewhat frustrated initially that it washes away fast and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I have peace, even though I'm not necessarily happy. You know what I mean? And it's not coming from me because I don't have that in my flesh. That's coming from the indwelling spirit in me. Yeah. In fact, I want to clarify one thing, uh, if I may add, uh, Tim. Uh, So of course, you know, when you say I, you're referring to your flesh, right? There's nothing good in our flesh. Yes. But the Bible also says, uh, uh, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. So what the Spirit does is basically takes our new man and manifests our new man that is in Christ in us. And our part is not to try hard, but as we rest in the finished work and as we believe that we are made a new creation in Christ and as we behold his glory, like uh, Mark said, beholding the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit will bring the new man into existence, so to speak, in our day-to-day life. And the old man will stay, remain on the cross. And we will start more and more living by our new man, which is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, that's a key point. And the word trying is kind of a funky word when you think about it, because the moment we start to try, we're just getting in the way. You know, and that's one of the, I think that's one of the dangers of lists, because when we read this list of the fruits of the Spirit, what do we do? We start to evaluate ourselves and see which ones we need to try harder to have in our lives, where it's much more effortless than that. It's us resting in Christ, resting in the cross. It's by faith from first to last. It's, it's so easy that it's not intuitive for some people. We just make Christ the focus of our life as we walk through it. And his spirit, which he's already given us, is going to bring those things in us. So was that you behind me the other day when I was doing 20 under the limit, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're coming to the close of this episode, I just found it very interesting. And it was not planned by us. Um, just how we've had one thing lead into another through these two episodes in a row. And we're not saying this is the order anybody has to adhere to, but it's just interesting how the cross brought us forgiveness and righteousness, which brought us the indwelling of the Spirit, which brought us into the adoption of sonship which then brought us into the transformation and the fruits of the Spirit. It's just like a a flowing, you know, streams of living water just flowing out of each other. It's great stuff. Yep. Amen, Mark. Thank you very much for putting all of that together. Ajay, uh, since Mark's already done his usual wrap-up, why don't uh, I let you have a chance for a few final words on this episode before we close out? Yeah, I would say, you know, in the Old Testament, God was had many names, right? El Shaddai, Elohim, and uh, Almighty. You know, there are so many names. But in the New Testament, the name that the Lord Jesus Christ came to reveal as of God, revealed to us of God, is the name Father. So that is the thing that Lord Jesus Christ 
actually came to reveal because in the old testament they seldom referred to god as father but as soon as the lord jesus christ came you know even starting with the matthew 5 he started referring to god as a father so that is the name that he came to reveal to us of god so i would say you know this is something we need to uh, let this thing sink in that we are the sons of god and daily live by this you know as much as we live by the fact that our sins are forgiven and we are righteousness of god in christ we also need to live by this truth that we are the sons of the most high god and that is a done deal and it's a fact you know irrevocable fact that we need to understand and let it sink in and live by the truth daily that we are the sons of the most high excellent aj thank you very much and i think i'm going to add a wrap point today and that is mark you brought up the word abba in in the jewish language uh to translate that into english the closest translation would be daddy and a father you know we may call him father and be formal with him but he loves us so much he wants to be our daddy and he wants to have that close relationship with us he's chased us and he's brought us into his own and he loves us quit looking at the idea that there's an angry god up there with a clipboard keeping track of all the things you do wrong it doesn't happen we we live in the love of abba Well, that's going to wrap us for today. We appreciate everybody listening to us. We hope that you'll consider subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use and sharing us with your friends. And we look forward to talking to you again the next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel@yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ Mark and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.